Hello, and welcome back to the Talking Guitar Podcast, brought to you by the North American Guitar in Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, Lindsay Straw, and today we're going further west in Canada to chat with Dion James of Dion Guitars. Dion's guitars are noticeable for their strikingly minimalist design, where the focus is on the true, essential, and inherent beauty of the instrument. We'll chat about his time in Quebec learning from and building alongside Michael Kennedy and Jeremy Clark before he made his way back to Alberta, where he shared space with a diverse cast of artists and artisans, as well as, believe it or not, taking up some serious farming. We did this interview via Zoom, so as usual, we have also released a video version where you can watch our chat and see some shots and video clips of his guitars in action. Please note, we did have some connectivity issues during our chat, but nothing that we had to pause or restart for. Hopefully these little blips aren't too distracting. Dion, thank you so much for sitting down with me today and having a chat because we've got so much to talk about. We're going to spec out a new guitar together, but um, you've got a really interesting um, sort of kaleidoscope of things that you do that, you know, beyond just guitar making, but you also build amazing guitars. So I think everybody's going to be really excited to hear all about that. So um, we were just discussing before we uh, hit record that you also farm and yeah. you were telling me a little bit about how you got into that. So for folks who don't know, you are based in Alberta now, right? Right. That's uh, sort of the west center of the of the country. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you said you're from Saskatchewan and then had gone to Montreal, which I assume was for uh, Luthery School, right? Uh, no, that was, oh. I mean, it was to pursue guitar building, but mm -hmm. um, living in rural Canada, the internet wasn't really much of a thing, you know, early on in my career. But I felt like... Montreal would be a good place to maybe meet some other builders. Okay. I had yeah. built one guitar or a few guitars and, and I moved there and, and met uh, Jeremy Clark of 52 Instruments and Michael Kennedy mm -hmm. of Michael Kennedy Guitars. And they had just started the two of them, Mylan Guitar Co-op. So I was the third member to join there. I just oh, okay. bumped into them at a, at a party and, and in the first couple of months I was in Montreal and I was welcomed in. So yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So, yeah. So I guess maybe back up for just a second. And so you, you'd only built one guitar at that point. So how did you, how did you get into woodworking and, and guitar building? Yeah, I guess I built a few, um, maybe three. Um, I've always been kind of a tinkerer, you know, I've always had projects on the go and I had, uh, I'd quit university, moved to the mountains. I was snowboarding for a year or a bit better. And I was home in the summer working on my family farm. A uh, friend was back and he had this old acoustic guitar that had been spray painted silver. <laughs> and uh, we naive naively thought like, well, let's just strip the paint off. It's probably beautiful wood and we'll put some oil on it. Um, at this point, I like, just started playing guitar a little bit. I was 22 or 23. And uh, we stripped the back and it was like plywood. And the front was actually uh, plywood with a, a wood grain plastic veneer sticker on top of it. <laughs> So I thought, well, there's got to be something better than this. And the internet for us was quite new. So I did a little Ask Jeeves search. And, uh, <laughs> Ooh, really far. Yeah, going back to the early aughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, on dial-up and for a guitar building kit. And, and it came up with a school that was actually only uh, three hours away from me. Uh, Timeless, Timeless Instruments, run by David Freeman. And because I had quit school and was no longer living in the mountains. I was kind of looking for something to do. So I, I signed up for the course right there and, and then and 
I built a guitar with David and I built a couple on my own in my parents' garage. And then I was just looking, looking for places to get better at it and thought I'd better move to Montreal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that totally makes sense. It's such a, such a hotbed for builders. Wow. That's, yeah. that's cool. Um, so once you got to Montreal, you, you joined up with Michael Kennedy and who was the other builder? Jeremy Clark. Okay. 52 instrument company. He's a classical builder. Okay. So how yeah. long were you there? Um, my sense of time is terrible. I don't see anything in a linear fashion. Um, I think like three years, maybe three and a half years, something like that. Okay. And then during that process, you were just sort of already launching into building your own guitars or was there apprenticeship going on or anything? No, it was really informal. They had just finished both of them, uh, an apprenticeship with Sergei Dion, mm-hmm. who is, um, a builder that kind of flies under the radar, but has been, is one of the very early sort of hand builders, you know? Yeah. How do you say his name again? Um, he apprenticed uh, Sergei Dianga. Dianga. Okay. It's a yeah. Dutch name. Yeah. We've got one of his guitars and I'm, I'm always like, I don't know how to say this. Yeah, <laughs> so now yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's an amazing builder and, mm-hmm. you know, he apprenticed with uh, Larave. I think he was Larave's first apprentice. Mm-hmm. And he worked with Grit, Laskin and Linda and they're all friends, you know? So Jeremy and Mike had been apprenticing with Sergey for three years, I think, and had just moved to Montreal um, and were looking to start something. And I kind of bumped into them at that time. And so I rented a bench. We just split the rent three ways and they were really generous. They opened their books and shared, you know, all of their insights with me that they had gleaned over those three years with Sergey. And and that's really where things launched. Um, I then applied for uh, a grant, a small business grant in Quebec. Uh, in Montreal and and got it and that was a, not a huge amount of money but it's eighteen thousand dollars and that was enough that I could eke by for the whole year without having a, another job and just focus on building guitars and that's when things really took off. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, and so then, how long did you stay in Montreal? Um, did you so did you go straight from Montreal back to or to Alberta or was there anything in between? No, I came here. So I had made a brief stop here uh, before I moved to Montreal from Saskatchewan. Um, just looking to move to a bigger center because I'm from a very rural place. And um, I met my, my now, now wife uh, here at that time. And very quickly after we started dating, we both moved to Montreal together. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, so when we were, she moved back from Montreal I think a year before me, because she was going back to do her master's degree. And then I came back and joined her. This is where her family's from, and it's closer to my family, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. How far is it? I mean, it's, I, I should know more because like I, I'm being yeah. a Montanan, but like, what is the drive time to go back and visit your family? Well, for me, it's uh, like, again, I work in kilometers, not uh, miles, but it's 500 kilometers. It's about a five oh, hour okay. drive. That's six not hour drive. Yeah. No, but for scale from from here to Montreal, uh, I think distance wise, I'm actually closer to the Mexican border than I am to yeah. Montreal. That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the the distance like going west once you're like out that far in the country is just kind of kind of bananas. Yeah, it's um, huge. Yeah. So now, so you set up your workshop in Alberta, and um, and you were telling me a little bit about a little bit about the farming before that, but how long like how how many different workshops did you go through or I, how am I trying to phrase this question yeah. um 
what what is your life in Alberta look like? Like, how did you end up setting up your workshop and then also doing the farming? Yeah, so when I first got back, I've always been interested in, in agriculture, um, but less on the scale that I grew up doing, which was all big equipment and chemical intensive. Um, I've been I've been interested in, in vegetable growing since I was 20 years old or something. So I was always, wherever I lived, including Montreal, I'd have things growing on the balcony or, or wherever. So when I landed here, I wanted to start another cooperative and I wanted to find agricultural land. I never imagined that I would find two acres of undeveloped land in the middle of the city with university support, but, um, but that is what I found. So when I first got here, I opened up a artist collective called Ficus Studios and I ran that for five years. Uh, we had shoemakers, bicycle frame makers, uh, photographers, theater makeup. We put on shows. It was, it was oh, a cool place. Yeah. But um, unlike the Mylan Guitar Co-op where it's all guitar builders, the diversity of, of craft and art um, pulled on my time too much to manage it all. And I, and I found I wasn't getting enough uh, of my own building done. So mm -hmm. when the lease ran up, I, I, I ended that and moved into a smaller shop with two of my friends that I met through there. Um, and taught them both how to build guitars, and they now run their own guitar companies as well. Um, that's Turley Guitars and Tunatone Instruments. Um, and when when operating that artist collective, I met a guy named Stacy, and his partner Maureen came by, and she told me about this garden. So I went out and joined her out there, um, and that was 12 years ago, and it turned out to be like a five-minute bicycle ride from my house, and I've just never left. And eventually Maureen and myself have now taken over the management of it. Um, so yeah, that was wow. kind of the trajectory. <laughs> a lot of serendipitous uh, moments, I guess. Yeah, that's really cool. It's so, it seems like, especially with the guitar making world, there's just so much uh, of like a collaborative effort with other folks. And so it's really cool to hear about how you learned so much um, back in, in Montreal and then sort of went on to do a similar thing. and also be involved with all these other artists and 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 then yeah like that's that, that's such a fascinating trajectory um do you feel like the farming informs your guitar making in any way yeah well, I mean I, I I uh it took me a long time to undo the conditioning of not intentionally that not that there's something wrong with the, the conditioning but of the the school life you know high school university um, where you go somewhere, you do something, and then you leave it behind. Um, and I had to return to what I'm more familiar with, which is the integration of work and the rest of life. That's the farm life that I grew up on. So, so all that to say that I think that I, I can't separate it all, you know? Um, the shop, my home, my kids, the garden, it's all kind of, not, none of it seems like work, and it all seems like work. Um, mm -hmm. So in terms of influence, I would say that just... Um, it provides me with a quiet place um, to, and, and a place where I can direct my mental energy elsewhere. And in those moments, I think that's where my best thinking about guitars comes is when I'm not intentionally surrounding myself with thinking about it, when it's running in the subconscious right. and I'm doing something else. And I think that the farm or the garden really provides that. You know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it's just to have two cut, like kind of distinct disciplines that you you participate in alongside each other. Um, yeah, that that's 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 really interesting. Um, 
going back to the the artist collective, did you do you feel like your experience working with all these different folks who are involved in different crafts influenced your aesthetics at all or anything about what you do? I think that my aesthetic sense has like the sense has always been there and I've learned to, to pull it out. So I wouldn't say that the aesthetic sense was informed, but, but certainly technique. I mean, there were furniture makers there. Um, okay. I just, I learned, yeah, I, I learned something from everybody in terms of all their little crafts and way that, ways they do things, you know, mm-hmm. that informed the way I think about building guitars. And because I didn't come through an official apprenticeship, I don't have in my mind that this is the way you build guitars. Um, I'm pretty willing to adopt things um, run them past friends and peers to make sure I'm not making a bad decision. Um, and I think that was definitely informed by being around such a, a multidisciplinary uh, group. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I feel like that kind of, your guitars, I mean, I, a lot of folks do the sort of the understated, elegant approach, but like your guitars have a really distinctive style to them that I think now that I know that like you did sort of have this different path that wasn't an official apprenticeship an official like going to a specific school or anything I think that kind of explains that a little bit more and and that's yeah again just a really cool thing to learn about you yeah um, thanks I think it's um the more I so, so the garden I also feel like is, is a place where I get to design you know I design a layout and, and a color palette and all of that and I've realized that um that what I like most including about guitar building is designing and I I guess when I think back, I've always been kind of designing stuff. I just didn't grow up in a world where people talk about design or anything. I grew up on a farm, you know, mm-hmm. but I think that um, my sense of um, of pairing things back has always been there. If I think about, uh, I, I played in you know bands over the years and I was probably the, like the most annoying bandmate because I just want to practice and practice and practice. <laughs> I don't want to perform unless things are perfect. And I always want to pull it back, like make it shorter, get rid of that solo. I just, I, I, I like buildings that are brick and rectangular with nice windows. I like jeans and a t-shirt that fit right and the mm-hmm. colors go together. You know, I just, that's always been my aesthetic for kind of everything is, yeah. is like a, a proportions and, and color palette and quality materials. So Yeah. Just the essentials and like the S yeah, I guess it seems like your guitar designs the yeah what am I trying to say just the thought that's put into just the yeah the absolute core elements of it there's not a lot that like is going to distract you from anything but every single thing is just so perfectly well thought out and and yeah you can I, I flop like, if you don't have that yeah if you don't have the like it's not just uh, I was talking to uh, now I'm going to mispronounce someone's name Thonis Fick Tunis Fick uh, uh do you know who I'm talking about so, yeah so, I, I, I'm not sure how to say his first name either. If it's the, I, I keep saying Theunis, but I'm not sure if that's right. Yeah, I'm probably ruining it. But he, I did an interview with him maybe two years ago, and he was talking about how he identified my guitar, guitars not as like um, simple or or without detail, um, but but sort of like very cohesive, so that the details themselves don't stick out. They're full of detail. Exactly. And I think that uh, my early attempts were very pared back still but they missed because I couldn't I didn't have the woodworking chops to get things crisp I didn't understand proportion of guitars as well and, and so they looked they were simple but they they flopped and now they stand you know mm-hmm. um, 
it did take some time to get that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like in some ways that's maybe even harder because there isn't anything else to distract you from the essentials and like making sure that it's all perfectly right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, awesome. So I want to do a little sidetrack to uh, your music, uh, just to find out more about what you've played and, and what your musical interests are and how those influence what you do with your own guitars. Yeah. Um, I don't play much these days. Uh, I feel like um, I get a pretty one track mind and, and now whenever I hold a guitar, I feel like all I can do is analyze it. You know, I, I feel like it's not a very good conduit these days, though I, I'm certain I will return. But the music I play and the music I, I listen to really is very little. I like um, sort of more lo-fi stuff. Um, I like a lot of soul music as well. Um, I love like 90s R&B, like Janet Jackson, Sade, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. those are my my main musical the bands i played in were sort of uh yeah lo-fi rock and roll bands but uh my real favorite kind of music is yeah r&b type stuff mm -hmm. oh so yeah. that's interesting so yeah because it seems like your guitars are sort of more i mean not that you have to play only one style but like especially like your number four model i think is really well suited to finger style but it doesn't really sound like that's much of a thing for you as a player yourself no but um I think the elements to make a good fingerstyle guitar um, also make just a good guitar in general. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's like a adequate volume, good sustain, clarity between notes, evenness across the register, these sorts of things. Um, but what I will say is that, well, you know, there's a lot of talk about like the guitar being dead, sort of, which is obviously not true. But I think that an acoustic guitar and, and the pull to an acoustic guitar for me is that it's a songwriting tool. If, you know, it'd be interesting to find out how many songs across a wide variety of genres started with someone playing an acoustic guitar, mm -hmm. you know? And so the more dynamic that acoustic guitar, uh, the better songwriting tool it is. And, and that's often how I think about guitars, which I guess makes them also good for fingerstyle composition. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you ever build electric guitars that you might play yourself i i have only one electric guitar and i did build it um and i do intend to to do another run someday for fun uh it was sort of a it's called boxy the space hog um i i made it in montreal at a time when i was i had reached a bit of a a barrier i was french polishing i just feel like it felt like i couldn't get it right i was stripping it french polishing and stripping it this one mm -hmm. guitar and I decided I wanted to just do something that was simpler. So I used whatever scraps we had around, including two by fours for the center column and made this a hollow square kind of Bo Diddley style with a classical guitar headstock guitar, uh, stained it with yellow onion skins and then gave it a coat of linseed oil. And it sounds fantastic. And it's very, very quirky and interesting looking. I'd like to do a run of those someday again, but just the one that's all I've built. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk a little bit more about your models. Why? So first of all, why is there only a three and a four and not a one and a two? They, <laughs> yeah, and why aren't there more? Because I, 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 uh, I can't let anything go if it don't doesn't seem right to me mm -hmm. in terms of design. So 
I just discontinued them. Okay. <laughs> they were early, they were early models and uh, they just didn't feel each, each model after that felt like it was so much better that the old models didn't live up to that anymore, you know? Um, and in fact, the number three, I'm not even really building right now. Um, Cause there's one line in the shape that I just can't deal with. And I, I hope to, to revive it one day, but yeah, so that's why there's very few, few models. Well, I think, I think it's cool when luthiers really focus on just a small handful and, and really perfect those. And obviously it's something like the OM is, or an OM mid-sized inspired shape is maybe the most universally appealing way to go. And mm -hmm. so your, your number three is sort of more like a double O in size roughly, right? Yeah, that's right. But it's got quite a high waist and it's fairly, a fairly wide waist sort of um, dreadnought-ish, but small. Mm -hmm. um, and so it has a lot of, uh, a lot of active soundboard area. It's quite a loud, quite a big sounding guitar. Oh, cool. I don't think we've had one of your number threes in since I've been working at Teenag. Um, so yeah, I hope you do continue those at some point. What yeah. were the, were the one and two smaller than three and four or just not really, yeah. not really like in an, in an order? There wasn't any particular order. They were, they would be double O or verging on OM sort of size. Mm -hmm. um, but a guitar shape is complicated. One, you know, might think it's, you know, there's the curve of the lower bout and the waist and the upper bout, but it's all the lines between that are really, really hard to just get right, you know? Mm -hmm. So they all had little little spots they just didn't like. Okay. Yeah. So what, so how did you decide upon your, your designs? Was there a particular, because they're, I always kind of relate things back to Martin as being, or Martin or Gibson, but mm -hmm. like, it seems like a lot of folks now are, that's obviously sort of the template in anybody's mind, but you might not necessarily be starting with that, like in a concrete way. So how did you end up where you, where you are with your models now? Yeah, I, I, early on, it was really just drawing and seeing what I came up with and with no experience, no understanding of where I was trying to go. Mm -hmm. But when I designed the, the four, I was really, you know, I had come to understand that the OM was a quite a popular and versatile model. And so I, I sort of took stock of the range of, you know, um, widths of the lower bout and upper bout and waist and length and all that stuff. And I plotted those all out. And then I started drawing uh, until I got something that I was fairly happy with. And then I actually scanned it and sent it to my friend, childhood friend, who's a graphic designer and, and does all my design work for me. And he, he put it into some computer program and just helped me correct lines, you know, and he'd send me a, a version. I'd print it off. I'd make notes. I'd scan it, send it back to him, back and forth on that to kind of get, get the shape. And I guess one of the reasons I haven't finalized another shape yet is that I feel like there's a lot of pressure riding on it. That, that model four, pretty much as soon as I released it, it, it kind of made my career. I got busy after that. It wasn't just because of that. There was a lot of timing, you know, but I just got busy with a bit of a backlog of orders for number four, and I just kind of focused on that. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at.
you do bracing wise? Do you do um, just standard X brace or do you do something a little bit different for your guitars? Let me show you. I have one right here I'm working on. So I have, I have done all sorts of bracing patterns. I've done lattice and my variations on an X brace, but I'm doing something. I don't know if you can see this here. Yeah. Like this these days. So I haven't named it or anything, but um, I guess it would be certainly influenced by, obviously there's an X sort of element to it. And also I really, when I first saw Falcate bracing, made a lot of sense to free up this area in the waist a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've got this sort of curved brace that comes like that. Um, because not only do you lose this area in terms of sound producing, but the X brace where it intersects with the waist stiffens up the upper part of the lower bout so much as well that um, you lose a bunch of potential sound producing real estate. And so the U brace creates this very, it's all coupled together very sturdy center column to carry the load of the strings and leaves you a lot of open real estate to, to make, make sound with. So oh, interesting. Um, is um, that... Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna, is that, um, does anybody else do something similar to that or is this something that you've just really kind of done in, on your own so far? Yeah, well, I have a hard time imagining anything as original, but I haven't seen anybody mm -hmm. who does this. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's mine. Um, and then it's got a carbon fiber bridge plate, which I got from my friend Rye, GR Bear. Mm -hmm. um, and he, I think, got it from Sam Guidry. Um, works out of the Gallup shop. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, wood and, and a carbon fiber laminate. It's I really like the results of that as well. Okay. Yeah, that that that's really I didn't know that people were using carbon fiber for for the bridge plates, but we we just got one of Sam's guitars in and obviously we've we've had Rise guitars in before and I mean they all sound amazing. So that's that's a cool development to know and to to watch out for to see who else does that. Yeah, well it it makes sense um and and another reason I don't fall into any sort of traditionalist camp. Um I certainly reference, you know, vintage instruments and I think there's amazing things about it, but we have all those measurements, all those materials, plus some new materials. So why couldn't we make the best guitars ever right now, mm -hmm. which I think we are. And carbon fiber in this application is lightweight um, in an area that is advantageous to be lightweight, but has the required stiffness. Um, and then it's also very hard. So in terms of the ball ends wearing through wood, like it's, it's going to take several lifetimes to wear through the carbon fiber with the ball ends. So mm -hmm. it's really stable that way. So it's a better coupling point as well for the ball ends. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Sure. So it's, it is really kind of combining the best of new materials with the things that make guitars great in the first place, which is the natural tone woods. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So going back to your models for a second. So we've been discussing a new guitar that she'll be sending us. Um, I would assume sometime later next year because it's so late in the year now. Um, yeah. And it's going to be a number five. So can you tell us a little bit more about what that model is going to be like? Yeah, sure. I'm still fussing over the, the final lines on, of the shape itself. Um, it's a larger body guitar, dreadnought-ish, you know. It's mm -hmm. a bit squarer. Um, you've played my guitars and, and you, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of volume. They're, they're, mm -hmm. they're big sounding guitars. So I'm really keen to try something that is a big guitar and see see what we can produce so yeah it's dreadnought ish um 
And I'm actually building my first one, <clears throat> excuse me, right now for a client who owns number three and number four. And he is sort of helping fund the, the prototyping of the number five. Okay. And so then the first like out and available and launched model will be the one I make for you folks for uh, cool. next year. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I had asked you about using a cedar that you had mentioned in one of our Tonewood articles for that. But now I'm mm -hmm. wondering if cedar would be the best for a dreadnought size guitar. But I know it's a special cedar. So I'm curious to hear more about your thoughts on potentially using that set for that particular model. Yeah, I think it would be it would be quite um, interesting. This cedar sort of defies what people think of as cedar. It's its stiffness to weight ratio is um, very similar to a lot of my Italian spruce. You know, it's it's just an interesting piece of wood. I, and I have a whole stack, but I, I pulled some out here. Um, it's got some interesting coloring in it. Um, I bought the estate of a deceased guitar maker about 10 years ago. And he had been, he passed away 12 years before that. So that's 22 years already. And then the wood he had, some of it's labeled from the early 70s and some from oh, the late wow. 80s. Um, and so that's where this stuff's from. And there's a whole stack of it. I think I have maybe 30 soundboards worth and it's all sequentially glitch matched off of the same board. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's just really gorgeous stuff. I've got a little alcohol so you can see the color of it. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and so I'll see when we get closer and after I build this first um, prototype with the number five, but I'm pretty keen to, to build one with that. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll be, yeah. Yeah, I'll be excited to see that and, and to hear that. What do you think will be a good back and side wood for that? Yeah, all over the place. Um, thinking about that, I have the method I build with. Uh, it's like the hollow, hollow core back. Um, so it's Nomex in the center and, and multiple layers of wood laid up around it. Um, it's not a pure reflector. It's, it's an active back. Um, and I control the stiffness through the thickness and grain orientation of all the different layers. Okay. All that to say that, um, well, there still is a very notable difference between one species and another. I can control um, the characteristics of the back much more than I can with the standard braced back. I so see. it leaves the door pretty wide open. But I've been toying around with, you know, because it's going, you know, spec and someone wants to he wants me to buy it. You don't want to make it too weird, but I like building interesting things as well. So, you know, this is the classic like Coca Bolo. This is very much like the Coca Bolo folks that have in, in shop right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, I think, actually from the same board. Um, I have quite a bit of nice figured mahogany, you know, which I've thought about maybe doing. Mm -hmm. But I've got this one piece of wood that Jeremy Clark gave me. Uh, 52 Instruments, the guy I mentioned from Milan Guitar Shop. Uh, and I forget if I said, he, he's the one who came up with the Holocore back design. Okay. And I, I, I adapted it to the steel string guitar. Um, cool. But I've got this Ceylon satin wood from, he bought it from a shop in Montreal. Um, I think it was in Montreal. And it had been sitting in the corner of Big Board since the 70s, I believe. And when I moved from Montreal to here, he um sorry someone's trying to call me I just canceled it <laughs> uh 
so when I moved from Montreal to, to Edmonton, uh, he came to visit me and he showed up with a set of this, this Ceylon satin wood. And it is like, you know, density wise, it's like glass, you know, it's, it's like a Coca Bolo or something like that. But it's this light colored wood and mm -hmm. it's highly configured. So it's like, you know, yeah. If I can get my head around it, and if you guys don't convince me it's a bad idea to make a weird guitar, um, I'm leaning towards that with the cedar top because it would stand out anywhere. Um, mm -hmm. I know sonically it would be great and aesthetically it would be very interesting. Yeah. Is that more, I've never, I don't think I've ever heard of that or I might've seen it like mentioned one in one place and, and never saw anything again. Is it, what is it related to? You know, I don't know that it's not, it's not very resinous. Um, that's a good question. I'd have to do some research and I'm not really sure what it's related to. Um, and qu quite honestly, I look at, at wood maybe different than some builders do. I don't have a lot of, uh, like mystique around it. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's beautiful, but I just measure it. And then I just know what its material properties are. It's elasticity and its stiffness and its density and all of that. Um, and so I just see it as something that is, yeah, related to some of the more dense rosewoods in terms okay. of, uh, in terms of its material properties. Yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I mean, I'm open to that. We'll have to make sure Ben and Kim are down with that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know, we have some time to work on that. So. Yeah. Um, well, sticking with the tonewood topic a little bit more, um, are there any tonewoods that you especially like to work with yourself or that you think people should give more, more consideration to? I just I love mahogany. I just think it's like it's it's a wood that can be used for every element of a guitar. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a huge stash from that same estate of of really old Honduran mahogany, and I think probably my favorite wood. It, it's the nicest to work with. I like how it looks. It's so uh, you know a nice straight grain piece without figure is is understated, but but beautiful and yeah yeah so that's my favorite yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Just one of the classics. Yeah. Um, going back to, or sort of related to building guitars for us versus building guitars for customers. I know that sometimes, obviously some customers are going to be really adventurous, but I, I've heard from a lot of luthiers that sometimes working with a shop gives them a little more freedom to try new things. What, what do you find in your experience with working with shops versus customers is like? Yeah. Um, well, I, I've been really fortunate to have um, I guess the whole thing I came about kind of innocently the whole career. And so I, I feel like in some ways I've attracted that kind of client as well. I get a lot of clients who come to me for their first handmade guitar, who want one of my guitars, who give me complete freedom saying, what do you want to build? And, and often have returned clients that way. And then I think my reputation was kind of built on, um, somewhat unorthodox looking guitars especially say four or five years ago and and so then shops took me on at that time and also gave me a lot of freedom so i, I feel like i've always had a lot of freedom mm -hmm. there are some shops that are more want more standard guitars um but in terms of dealers or uh, uh, individual clients i have not had a lot of really concrete requests i get a lot of freedom that's pretty yes. cool yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's interesting to think about how how I, just in my discussion with Mark Gallero, we talked about how what you put out at the beginning is sort of what sets the precedent for the rest of your career. And yes. so you've really lucked out by 
starting out as somebody who was a little bit more adventurous and less traditional. And so now you get to have all this freedom, which is really cool. Yeah. And it was just the right timing. It wasn't intentional. Mm -hmm. um, as a side note, I love Mark's guitars. Uh, him and I, you know, in the winter, we try to chat once a week and in the summer less often, but uh, I'm really glad you guys are taking his stuff. I think he's mm -hmm. an amazing builder. And I love his, his choice of woods. He's really dedicated to, to using domestic woods and stuff. And he does it in such a, an elegant way. So. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned you too. Cause he, we were talking about uh, like, you, you came up in the discussion about how um, he stays in touch with other luthier dads. And I was yeah, like, oh, that's exactly. such a cute idea. <laughs> like managing, yeah, we always end up talking yeah. to our kids first and then we get to guitars <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's nice. Um, well, let me go back to my question list for a second. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. What guitar would you, or have you built for yourself as like your top choice guitar? Okay. I think I mentioned this one time in an interview with North American guitar, um, maybe like a, a written interview, but it's mahogany. I, I've only built one guitar for myself besides my electric. It was my very first guitar. It's extremely crude. <laughs> um, I would save it before anything I build now because I can rebuild what I build now, you know, but I, I could never rebuild that, <laughs> that <laughs> moment in time. Um, but I would do mahogany everywhere, like uh, backsides, fingerboard, bridge, mm -hmm. veneer, uh, broken up just with, you know, 0.5 mil black lines, um, probably slightly tinted towards that um, sort of vintage Martin color. Mm -hmm. And I would do, I, I've been, I really want to do a, a guitar that has, so, so traditional guitars, the, the back is, is angled, you know, and, and the top is, is sort of uh, co-planar to the center line of the sides. Mm -hmm. um, many elevated neck guitars, you just switch that around and you put the angle into the top or the, the taper into the top. I would like to do something where I split the taper in half um, and have a neck come in straight on that okay uh, with a slight elevation um i just think it would give it this very long lean appearance from the side mm -hmm. uh, but it would be all mahogany with black lines yeah oh cool well i hope yeah. you build that at some point so we can we can see what it turns out like yeah yeah i'll try <laughs> well um what's next for you are you going to be going to any of the festivals or shows later on this year yeah um obviously there's been a, a hiatus for all of us um mm -hmm. i went to lacana this spring which was amazing um, it was the first time I'd gone to shows where I don't have anything available, which was actually really nice to just not feel that pressure of feeling like I should try to sell something. Um, so that was great. Uh, I wish I was going to the fretboard summit right away here, but I just couldn't justify it with the garden timing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I am going to Woodstock in the fall here. Nice. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I've been wanting to go to that show. I've, I've gone to the show as a, uh, as a visitor before. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't exhibited and, and I've wanted to since the beginning of my career pretty much. So I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah. Or I, I was just pricing out for some of us to go to Woodstock. So awesome. I'm hoping that we'll awesome. get to go too. And at the very least, hopefully it'll be me and our photographer slash videographer, but hopefully Ben and Kim will come as well. And we'll have a whole little teenage team there and get to meet all you guys in person. Cause that would be so much fun. That would be, it's such a beautiful location too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that'd be amazing to meet you guys. I mean, I've met Ben, but I haven't met you or Kim. So yeah well yeah. i that's all my questions is there anything else that you wanted to to share project wise or any just updates on on your on what's going on 
No, I, I don't think so. I mean, probably, but not that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I've really enjoyed you know uh, working with you folks, and I'm and I'm looking forward to continuing with that. The content you guys are putting out right now is, I think, you know, among the best anywhere. Well, uh, thank you. I really appreciate the. Um, there's no letting a guitar flounder. You know, I sent you guys two earlier this year or late last year. One sold right away. One didn't. But it doesn't just die on the shelf. You guys are always generating new content and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we look for in dealers. And for me, I could probably go without dealers right now for a while. I've got you know a good list of orders, et cetera. But um, I can't do that. I don't have the energy to do that from home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I really feel uh, respected by, by the way you guys run your business. Oh, well. That makes me feel happy to hear that because obviously we, we love working with you and we love doing as much as we possibly can for your guitars and for all of our luthiers guitars because it's obviously a pretty sweet job getting to promote yeah. guitars. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in addition to the number five that we'll have coming later next year, we've also got a bespoke slot with you. So if somebody wants mm-hmm. to book a totally custom guitar with you through us, they can do that. And um, and yeah, we'll just have to watch out for you in, in October in Woodstock and go from there. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was so fun to get to hear more about your life and your your backstory. And I'm sure all of the folks who know your guitars and already love them will, will love knowing all of that stuff too. So thank you so much for your time and for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me and, and a real pleasure to meet you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talking Guitar. As of recording, we have the number four in Cocobolo and Italian spruce available in our showroom, and the cedar number five we discussed can be pre-ordered as well. If you want to hear more from Dion, he was featured in our recent Behind Bespoke article on our blog, and he's contributed to many of the Tonewood Tours features in the Connoisseur this past year, so be sure to check all of those out. To learn more about these guitars and all of our fabulous luthiers, come visit us at thenorthamericanguitar.com. Until next time. <laughs>